What is sacrifice? How do you justify your actions to those who are most affected by them? In her poem, Offering, Abraham to Isaac, Ayelet Amitai, tackles the sacrifice of Isaac and its existential ramifications on Abraham, his son, and us. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, share, and subscribe. Also check out the JLJ's offerings on our website and YouTube. Please support the JLJ through PayPal and Patreon. Both are linked in the show's notes. Welcome to episode 24 of Exegesis, featuring the work of Ayelet Amitai. Offering Abraham to Isaac God will ask the same of you. You name your son held by the heel. He names his son one who adds. We accrue our sacrifices, and the world is heated by the need until the mountains begin melting, waiting for willingness. What will you offer in the woven nest that will hatch instead of bleed, that will hold instead of burning? Published in December of 2021, Ayelet Amitai is a psychiatric nurse practitioner and poet in Eugene, Oregon. Her work is forthcoming or appears in Michigan Quarterly Review, Pandemics, Cream City Review, and others. She was a Tent Fellow and was awarded the Parent Writer Fellowship from the Martha's Vineyard Institute of Creative Writing. Let's hear from her now. When did you write this and where were you when you wrote this poem? So this poem was written by invitation of my rabbi, um, uh, Ruhi Sophia Moskin-Rubinstein. She asked if I would give a Dvar Torah in our congregation in Eugene, Oregon, for the high holidays. And, you know, every year on Yom Kippur, this is a, a story that I think about really deeply and have a lot of questions about. And so when she invited me to do that, I thought I would try to engage it in a more direct way than I had in the past. Um, so I wrote the poem to give, uh, to present to the congregation via Zoom um, as a Dvar Torah for the second day of Yom Kippur. That's interesting. How you Do you see the poem came naturally or are you... Like, how did you square the idea of poetry with the Torah? I guess we don't think of those necessarily as the same. Huh. I mean, I guess, I, sh- I you know, in my mind, the, the stories we read about in biblical texts are um, – sort of ask for engagement and interpretation, and that's how I understand our tradition of things like Midrash um, or um, even sort of the back-and-forth conversations that you see in um, Torah Shabalpeh, like that sort of tradition. And so the idea of taking a text and expanding or shifting a conversation with it seemed really natural to me, um, and poetry is just the way that I have historically done that, um, because poems, you know, nobody is reading a poem as um, as a nonfiction uh, reportage kind of text. Everybody who comes to a poem, I think, knows that it's, a, it's an interpretation, um, and so bringing that interpretive eye to the biblical story feels like a space where there's openness for a new approach 
you know, to a story that we've been hearing for so many generations. Like, how do you find something new to say or to think about this parasha? Um, maybe poetry is one way to approach that question. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned the idea of interpretation. Um because obviously here you interpret it as father to son. So was that uh, cogni- like uh, were you cognizant of that when you started writing it, or how did you sort of get the genesis of who's talking to whom about what? Yeah, I think when I first started this poem, I'm a parent, and so I think initially my response to this story is one of incomprehension because it's very difficult to imagine myself being willing or able to make the kind of sacrifice that Abraham is in a position to make. And so I wanted to get a sense of, like, how could he possibly be thinking about this in a way that would allow him to move forward? Um, And, I mean, I think traditionally how I learned about that is it was an act of faith, like a leap of faith. But, you know, when you look at the fact of what is being asked, it's pretty unthinkable. So I hoped that by taking Abraham's perspective, I could kind of bridge that, like, what felt like a very difficult leap for empathy. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so like, inhabiting, you know, maybe what he was thinking was, if I can just do this thing, this impossible sacrifice, the future generations may be spared in some way, even though they, the poem is sort of arguing that we too have our sacrifice that is asked of us. Um, but, you know, if, if, each, if each generation of parent tries their best for the sake of the future generations, maybe there's a lineage there that we can draw from in some way. Yeah, that's an interesting idea in the sense of, I guess it's an existential question, right? Is it really helpful to bring kids into the world when you know, I'm not a parent, so perhaps this is an ignorant question, but uh, an interesting existential question, right? Is it worth bringing kids into the world when you know that there's going to be sacrifices asked of them, perhaps even larger than you think they should have to bear or could bear? Um, I guess there is a wrestling there, right? About what's the better option. Right. And I mean, I think in this historical moment, that has been a really present existential question for me and for many other parents that I know um, between COVID and sort of the sacrifices that we've made in COVID and then climate change and the sacrifices that are being asked of us in the face of climate change. So, you know, this whether or not to have kids is a separate question, although I think it's very related. Um, in this poem, that story, the visitation and Sarah getting pregnant, that's already happened, just like in my life. You know, I already have these children. Right. So what do I owe them? Or what does Abraham, you know, how is he sort of envisioning these children, the, the one he has, or I guess the two he has, and then the future generations that he and God have talked about, but, you know, how real was that to him? Yeah, 
it's also interesting in the sense of sacrifice. I I don't know how how do you define that term? I think there's I mean there's been a lot of talk about you know will they come back? Will they won't come back? Obviously traditionally we think of it as um, in a biblical sense of right you kill an animal and you that's the sacrifice. Um, but I think there's something more to that word. So I didn't know if there was a new interpretation or something different that you sort of saw when writing this poem about that idea of sacrifice. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you asking that because this poem has kind of expanded into a series and the series is asking that question, like, what is a sacrifice and what is an offering and how are they different or the same? And, you know, what are the sacrifices that are part of being human? And then what are the sacrifices that are more than can be asked of human beings? So, you know, when I think about Sacrificed, I think about the idea of um, surrendering something that matters deeply for the sake of something else that matters deeply. Um, and, you know, in my own life now, I think about things like choices that we've had to make around the schooling of our children and whether we would send them to school given the risks of COVID or even, you know, what someone might consider a micro-sacrifice the decision to fly in a plane or not fly in a plane, given the carbon footprint. I don't, you know, just because it's on the level of the day-to-day doesn't mean that it isn't a meaningful sacrifice if it's in the service of something beyond us. Yeah. And it's it's interesting that you're creating this parallel, obviously, between Abraham and Isaac. So obviously there's a comparison here about sacrifices and how each one has to deal with uh, their own son or sons. Um, but I wondered if there was if, if there was more of a parallel here that you could draw or not, because in a lot of our tradition, right, Isaac is seen as sort of the weakest of the forefathers. Um, and yet here it's almost like an inevitability that he, in some ways perhaps he's stronger because he went through his own – he was sacrificed and then had to do his own sacrifice. So I didn't know – uh, if there was some sort of thought process around Isaac within this situation, obviously it's written from Abraham's perspective. But how does how do you think Isaac is taking this conversation? Yeah, I wrote another poem from Isaac's perspective, so I will um, I will speak from that place, which is Isaac. I mean, in my mind, so I think it's really remarkable. My understanding of the interpretation of this story around Isaac is that. Um, Isaac is not included in the text when Abraham, it says Abraham comes back from Mount Moriah, but it doesn't say Isaac comes back with him. So there's a part of Isaac that is left in this moment. Like, it doesn't exist in the same way that it did before. And the next time we see him, he's in a really different place in his life. And we also never hear from Sarah again after this chapter. So there's a really significant rupture of this kind of original family. Um, and I think that has to do with trauma. And I don't, I don't know that I can articulate yet what I think about the intersection of trauma and sacrifice, but it's something that I'm trying to explore in these poems. You know, yes. the sacrifice was not Isaac's choice. So I don't know that we can call what Isaac gave a sacrifice. I think we have to call it something else. Yeah, it's interesting, obviously, based on, like, Chazal in general. 
um, the idea of Isaac being weaker seems almost antithetical to perhaps our psychological perspective nowadays, where I think trauma is a good word. Um, in some ways, because of Abraham's actions, he was destined to be somewhat uh, hampered, and therefore that might lead to more trauma down the generations. Right. And now we're in a position, I mean, as we are in every generation, and the story of Passover really speaks to this. We're in a position where we're thinking about what are we going to hand down, given the circumstances we're in. And, I mean, we can't help but hand down a certain amount of trauma and the way that it's impacted us and our foreparents. But we do have an opportunity to be intentional about trying to heal and trying to give the next generation a chance to not carry what came before. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to, I didn't actually notice it when I was reading it before, but now that you're speaking about uh, climate change and sort of that as sacrifice or what's necessary to sacrifice for to stop that, um, I, did, I do notice now that the idea of the, the mountains melting, um, and I was kind of wondering how you saw the environment uh, or climate change specifically within this story or how that, that sort of, that imagery came to be within this uh, piece. Yeah, I mean, it's very much on my mind, as you can probably tell from this conversation. And I think, you know, there are multiple moments that are very, very important that happen on mountains in the Bible. And this this idea that it's kind of closer to God, I think, is critical. But also, I mean, I'm right now, as we're talking, I'm out in the, the mountain range that's right by the Oregon coast. And I'm thinking about, you know, sea level rise and... I mean, these mountains are amazing, but um, they are not invulnerable, just like anything on our planet. So I don't see the mountain in the poem as bringing the people in the poem closer to God. I see it as another element that is vulnerable and interconnected with everything else in the poem. Yeah, there's an irony, right, that uh, tradi- right, the tradition is that that mountain is what became the mountain where the temples were built. So perhaps that was a way to sort of rectify what happened there? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, at least to say, you know, even the, the way we try to make, I don't know, something open, something open to what is holy or, or I mean, if not permanent, like close. We can't do that. <laughs> we we don't have the power to do that. So what do we have the power to save or to preserve? And it's interesting you bring up the idea of fire, obviously, but here it's a, a contained fire, um, whereas obviously we think of sacrifices as burning up rather than being contained. Uh, yeah. Is that a way, is that a sort of way to try and fix things, or how do you see that image? Yeah. I think the idea of a burnt offering is such a powerful image, um, and it isn't something that we see in our current practice, but it was such a central part of practice um, for for our ancestors. And so I think, you know, I'm trying to understand how do you think about the idea of heat or fire in its different permutations? You know, if something is burnt up, what does that mean? who has consumed it, in what way. And then if the seas are rising, is there an analogy to be made or not? 
I don't know the answer, but I think the poem wants to ask those questions. Yeah, it's strange because we know God comes to Moses, obviously, in fire, but it is a fire that doesn't burn, right? It's it's a flame. So it's an interesting, there are all these parallels being set up with the future generations around which perhaps the things that were hurting before don't hurt as much or are somehow mitigated. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, are a marker of the presence of God. I mean, I think that if we can see climate change or global warming as an invitation to step into our awareness of God's presence in our lives and sort of what that asks. I mean, I think that that could be a way that the shifting of the climate could be an invitation for us to act or to heal as opposed to something hopeless. Um, But that's a big leap, at least for me. So maybe the poem is sort of the beginning of trying to figure out how to think about that. This is a strange idea of thinking of it all comes from one place. So perhaps it is interpretation, as we were talking about before, you know, poetry is interpretation in and of itself. The idea of the same thing uh, can be harmful, but perhaps also has the power to heal um, if you allow that perspective to, to enter. Right. And that's kind of what trauma is all about, in a way. It's, it's an invitation to see a wound and try to close it or to make it right. So I do think that's right, what you said. And that might lead to the another existential question, which is, is there any way to sort of fix something if there was never broken, right? Is trauma necessary in order to sort of get to that greatness or a larger salvation, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, except I don't think anything is unbroken completely. But you're right that there's there's different scales. I know this poem was published somewhat recently, but not, you know, a few months ago. So I didn't know if perhaps our discussion or just life in general. Is there a different perspective on the poem now, something you would change, something you would uh, add? Well, Erin, you very generously gave me some edits um, as part of the process of this poem being accepted. Um, there was a whole lot of throat clearing and kind of narrative buildup that you correctly felt like was not really necessary for this poem. Um, so I appreciated that a lot because it allowed it to kind of start in the middle of the story. And I, I do think that's important. Um, I don't have a different perspective, but I, I would say that since I wrote this, I've written um, six or seven others in this series, and I think they speak to each other, and that maybe adds to the way that they work in my head um, that our reader might be able to see if they read them as a series. Um, but but I, you know, the truth is I don't know what else. I, imagining myself as the parent, I don't know what more I could really say other than you'll understand this when you're a parent yourself which is kind of what he's saying. You know, that it that something about having a child demands of us that we step outside of ourselves in a way that we may not have previously. There is, yeah, it does feel like this poem, even as much as it's trying to explain, does allow for that idea of, I can't explain, I still can't explain it, right? That, that there's still this idea of faith there that in some ways you, you sort of have to guess a lot of the time and, and, just hope for the best. I think that's, you know, I mean, our action has a certain amount of power. And 
faith is what we do when our actions, the breath of our actions reach ends. Thank you for listening to Exegesis. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, share, and subscribe. Also, check out the JLJ's offerings on our website and YouTube. Please support the JLJ through PayPal and Patreon. Both are linked in the show's notes. We will see you next time.